Father, this morning we pray that as we open up your word that we would feast on the truth of your great love for us. Lord, I pray that you would remove any barriers that might pop up this morning as we begin with hardened hearts and calloused minds. Father, that this would be a place where we come to walk with you, to know you, and to be forever transformed by you. Father, bless us as we continue to worship you. Seat this morning. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China for 51 years in the 1800s. During his time in China, he is responsible for probably more than 20,000 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and his legacy continues on, even through the secret church in China. There's a story that he passes on of setting with a, a Chinese pastor who had just led someone to a new relationship in Jesus Christ. And, and he said to them, tell me, new believer, young man, tell me who you have told about Jesus. And the young man responded to him and he says, oh, I'm still in training. In a very Eastern philosophical way, the Chinese pastor said to the young man, he asked him this question right here. He asked him this. He says, he says when does a candle begin to shine? It doesn't begin to shine after it's burned halfway down. It begins to shine as soon as it is lit. And son, if you have just come to Jesus Christ, you know everything you need to know to tell somebody else about him. What a wonderful story of a man who devoted his life to bring the gospel to people who needed rescuing from their sin, who needed their souls saved for all of eternity. And that is the, the cry to us as believers that, that we would understand that, that our light begins to shine as soon as it is lit. What a sad and tragic reality we live in when we hide behind not having enough knowledge or not being trained enough. When in actuality what we might have actually missed is that we're not transformed enough. Let me tell you something. Transformed life in Jesus Christ begins immediately, and it just gets better. It, it, it doesn't eventually get there. It, it starts immediately, and it just gets better. You begin to understand the journey that Christ went through for you, not so that your light might begin to shine as the candle burns down or gets right to its very end, but it may begin to shine as soon as it is lit. Christ follower in the room this morning, I want to encourage you to understand this, that for every soul that you withhold the gospel from, that is one soul that will not spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That is not to guilt you, but to remind you of your responsibility for what has been done for you so that you might share it with others so that they too may rejoice in the knowledge that they will eternally be with Jesus Christ. To say that I'm not prepared or I'm not ready, I don't believe that's a true statement. I believe it's an excuse. Because either you know Jesus or you don't. Either you love Jesus or you don't. Either you love others or you don't. In a day and age and a culture by which absolutes are certainly shunned, I'm just going to be honest with you, we are never going to win the culture war. We're not called to. We're going to have to be in the middle of it. We're going to take some hits. 
but I'm going to tell you something, friends. It's not going to be about how much knowledge we obtain that's going to change the hearts of individuals one by one or even impact their souls. It's by proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Mark. It's in the New Testament. Mark is... uh, the third book in the New Testament, it's one of the synaptic gospels, as they're called. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of seem to be in the same vein, whereas John uh, is, is not uh, in the same vein as much. But Mark is a very interesting book because Mark does something the other three gospels don't do. Mark doesn't record the sermons of Jesus. He records the actions of Jesus. In, in fact, in, in Mark's gospel, he uses the word straightforward or immediately more than 41 times because Mark is not interested in telling you what Jesus said. He's interested in telling you what Jesus did and what you ought to be doing as well. It's not an an admonition. It's an encouragement. It, It is to show you that Jesus did all of these things and you can too, not because of who you are, but because of who you are in him. Mark writes an entire book devoted to showing us the actions of Jesus Christ. And Mark probably is is well summed up by uh, Dr. Paul Reese, who said that, that the gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate, it's an announcement. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. The gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate, it's an announcement. Let's sit around and, 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 and get our heads up a little bit and see if we can get a little bit smarter. Let's argue with one another about whether the gospel is true or not true. Let's, let's condemn people because of what they do or don't know or what they do or don't believe. It is not an announcement, or excuse me, it's not a debate, it's an announcement. And in that announcement, it just basically says that the gospel is not just something that needs to be heard, it is something that must be responded to. And everyone, believe it or not, responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They either say yes or they say no or they say, I'm thinking about it. And you know what? I'm good with the first answer and the last answer. But the middle answer, it's an absolute. For a culture that doesn't like absolutes, it sure is interesting how many people will turn their back on the truth of Jesus Christ. Someone who says, I'm thinking about that, is welcome and encouraged to have doubts, but to explore those doubts. And not to explore those doubts based upon what I say, but what I do, just as Jesus did for each and every one of us. That's what set Jesus apart from so many others, particularly the false prophets that declared themselves Messiah long before him. They talked a lot, but they walked very little. Jesus walked himself to the cross. He didn't just say, I'm going to go there. He actually did it. The emphasis of Mark's gospel and something that we're going to study for the next several, 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 several months is on the actions of Jesus Christ and what we as believers ought to be doing and how it should transform us as well. Not just eventually, but immediately so that our life can continue to show that. If you have your Bible, I want you to begin to read with me in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to start the new year off by saying this. It's 2023, and to not have access to a Bible, we're going to make sure that you have that. There are some in the back. We'll go find you some. You've got a phone or whatever. So I'm going to encourage you to never get to a place to say, I don't know enough. Just say, I didn't do enough. And that starts with reading your Bible. That starts with knowing your Scripture. And so perhaps maybe you don't read it at home. I wish you did. But when you come into this room, I'm going to encourage you. We open up God's Word here, and we do that together. And we do that so that we might learn and grow and be encouraged to leave this place and do something about it. Let's start in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. 
what a beautiful introduction. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Father, we rejoice in the truth of your word and the reality that it came true. And for those of us who have believed, Lord, we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, not by what Jesus said, but by what Jesus did. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that that spirit would work in those of us who believe in you, that, that our hearts would not just under come under conviction, Lord, but we would we would be energized, that, that you would renew strength to the weary, Father, that we, we might not just be hearers of the word, but be doers as well. Lord, might we be encouraged by John's example, who, who dressed a little funny and lived differently, but he proclaimed the way of the one whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. Father, let us not be driven down by self-deprecation, but let us rise up children of the living God. Father, be with us as we continue to look at this passage of scripture this morning. Amen. In your seat, you have a little card here. And on the front side of that little card, I'm going to ask you to do something with that little card. Because see, the entire book of Mark does two things. It, it answers two questions. And, and on the front side, I want you to write those two questions, and they're actually up here this morning. Who is Jesus and how should I respond to him? Now, now, this is a challenge by choice exercise. I can't force you to do this, but I'm going to plead with you and I'm going to beg with you to write this down and to keep it with you all the time. Don't tuck it in your Bible, particularly if you're just one of those that only reads it on Sunday morning. Don't, don't tuck it in your Bible, especially if you use electronic media for everything. Put it in your wallet. Put it right next to your credit card or to the, to, if anybody uses cash anymore. Right? Let's not let the only thing that says God in your wallet be your money. Let's, let's, let's let it be something that reminds us to answer these two questions. Who is Jesus and how should I respond to him? And throughout the entire book of Mark, we're going to see these two, two questions that are going to be constantly being answered. Now, I, I, I want to be really clear to you while you're writing this down. I, in no way, shape, or form, want to encourage you to answer the question, who is Jesus to me? I, I don't care who Jesus is to you. I want you to know who Jesus is. Okay? There's a big difference because for some people, Jesus is a bully. For some people, Jesus is a liar. For some people, Jesus is a judge and jury and executioner. For some people, he's just a moral man. For some people, he's just a good teacher. But he is the son of God, the salvation for all mankind. And we need to be able to answer that question of who is Jesus, not who we want him to be or who we wished he would be. My, my, my memory, unfortunately, goes back to Talladega Nights, the story of Ricky Bobby, where they're sitting around the table and they're talking about, I like to picture my Jesus with a golden fleece diaper and all this other stuff. 
You know, everybody likes to, to think about Jesus during the Christmas time as that, that, that little babe. But, but we sometimes seem to kind of back away from that little babe's life was born for us so that it would go to the cross for us. And if we stop there, then we miss out on the reality of who Jesus is because he wasn't just the one who was crucified for our sins. He was the one that walked out of the grave for our sins to overcome them. Now that sends us to the second question is how should I respond to that? Well, again, I'll tell you, you either say, yes, he is, no, he's not, or I'm thinking about it. For those of you who said, yes, he is, then the time of thought and knowledge is always, but action is always there as well. For those of you who are not quite sure yet, I beg you to keep looking and to explore, to ask questions, to use information and education that you have more at your fingertips than at any time in human history. For those of you who have outright said no, I'd help you find freedom for yourself. I know nothing else to do for you. Because these are choices. These are decisions. I can plead, I can beg, I can inform, I can do all of those things, but I pray that the Holy Spirit takes hold of your heart and changes that look at that first question for a moment from the passage we just read. Who is Jesus according to Mark 1.8? Well, just in these few verses, Mark says the following things, that, that Jesus is the beginning. In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says he's the good news. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the Lord. Just in a matter of a few sentences, Mark goes on to say that everything that I'm about to tell you and the, and the words that are coming after here are going to tell you about who this Jesus is. Not who you thought he was going to be, who you hoped he was, not who the Romans got wrong. See, Paul was actually writing, or excuse me, Mark was writing this to the Romans because he was a contemporary with Paul. He knew him well. And he was telling the Romans about this Jesus because they had no context culturally with him. They had their Roman gods and their, their deities and Nero and their emperors and all those other things. But they needed to know who Jesus was. And Mark says, don't worry, I'm going to tell you exactly who he is so that you know him when he meets you. That there won't be a surprise. Oh, that's who you are. So that he won't look at you and say, depart from me, I did not know you. Mark says, I want you to know that he is the beginning of. If we were to go all the way back to Genesis, it would say, let us create man in our image, telling us that Jesus was with God from the very beginning, and in our image we are made, according to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God himself. Jesus is the beginning. And to keep that in mind, we might understand that if we don't start there, any place else that we start is incomplete and inaccurate, and we start getting down this trail of who we want Jesus to be or who he is to me versus who he is. That's why his name is I am, not I might be or I could be or eventually I will be. He's also the good news. Now, for many, when I said earlier that, that the gospel is, is, is an announcement, that is what the good news is. And the gospel would be proclaimed, particularly in a Roman culture, the good news was, was not an uncommon word because people were always looking for the good news, not looking for the good advice. Now, do you know the difference between good news and good advice? See, good news is what did happen, and good advice is what you ought to do. We are so busy talking into people's lives, talking at people's lives with good advice. Well, you ought to quit doing this or start doing this, when you ought to be telling them the good news about Jesus, you are the good advice. See, that's the difference. Jesus is the proclamation. He's the Christ, the Son of God, the Lord. 
The God who, at Christmas time, we spoke of Emmanuel, who wanted to be with us forever and ever. He made a way to do that, not just temporarily in the 33 years of Jesus' life, but for all of eternity through the life of Jesus and his resurrection for us. Uh, Emmanuel was not just a promise for those living on earth temporarily. Emmanuel, God with us, could be flipped around for us with God in eternity for those who know who Jesus really is and have secondly responded properly to him. So that leads us to the second question that we see in Mark 1.8. How should I respond to Jesus? Well, we see in this passage of Scripture that the prophet Isaiah told us to look for him. That one crying out as a voice in the wilderness. He, he more or less basically said a crazy guy who dresses really funny and eats weird foods is going to be out there proclaiming a message that nobody really wants to hear. And as a result of that message, people are going to come to conviction in their heart to say, I've not done everything I'm supposed to do right. There has to be a better way. What is the answer? And John says, look, you can tell me your sins and I'll wash them off with water. But one is coming after me that's going to wash them away with the spirit and with fire. That means he's going to refine it completely, and those sins are going to go away. I don't know how many of you use fabric softener or liquid bleach or whatever, but you know many of the times bleach works as a gluing agent. Are you familiar with that, any of you? So your whites really aren't white. They're just kind of a, a tinge of blue. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus is going to purify us, and we'll be white as snow. That's better than any bleach, right? So when we ask how we should respond to Jesus, Mark immediately fires out of the gates in the first few passages, and he says, we ought to look for him. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. In the culture of the day, people aren't looking for Jesus, but they are looking for something. They are looking for answers. They are looking for hope. They're looking for justification to how they live their lives, the decisions they make, and the things they want to do. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I have met people inside and outside of the church who are looking for me to excuse their lifestyle that's contrary to the scripture. And it's bold. Did Jesus really say that? Oh my gosh, it's the serpent in the garden. Why does he look like you who lives next door to me? Oh, it's just a bunch of rules. Are there no other rules in your life? I've got one. We drive on the right side of the road in this country. That's a pretty good rule. Why do you seem to follow him? I saw this past week that one of our newly elected congressmen took his oath on the Constitution and a Superman comic book that he had to borrow from the Library of Congress. That was interesting to me. This guy took an oath on Superman, a comic book fictional character, to uphold the Constitution of the United States to see that we still have our freedoms to do the things that we want to do. Now, I don't know about you, but, 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 but when does SpongeBob get into this story? Right? I, I mean, when does SpongeBob get to dictate foreign policy? Why not? strange to you that an oath of office to represent and defend the people of this nation is taken out of a comic book when it used to be taken out of Bible comic books? How should I respond to him? Well, it sure doesn't say ignore him. John says, look for him. Listen for him. 
repent to him. Confess to him. Now, those two things are not the same. To confess is to say, I did it, and I know I did it, and you do too. To repent is to say, I did it, you know I did it, you do too, and I'm sorry, and I don't ever want to do it again. And I don't have to do it again because of Jesus. Not by my own might, not by my own strength, not by how much I do or do not know of the Bible, because Jesus says that I am dead to sin and alive in him. Period. I didn't do anything to earn or deserve that. He did it for me. He says that we should be cleansed by him. And finally, he says we should tell others about him. That's how we respond to Jesus. See, Mark doesn't focus on what Jesus said. He focused on what he did. Mark knew that Jesus was real because of what he did, because he would say it and then he'd go and do it. Or he'd just do it and say, I told you so. knew what every Christian in this room ought to know, and every Christian from all of humanity up to this point and until we're gone from this earth. And you may want to consider this, is that the gospel transforms us at the intersection of information and application. I want you to just chew on that for just a second. I've got, I've got it written up here. The gospel transforms us, changes us from who we are to who he says we are at the intersection of information and application. The gospel was never designed to be heard only. It was designed to be responded to, and it requires a response. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're right, Peter, very good. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many, many times we get in the process and the busyness if we get into a Bible study or we get into a Sunday school class or we have a men's group or a women's group or a youth, whatever, and all those things are great, and I am for each and every one of those things. I truly am. But I'm telling you something, friends. If all we do is gather information and maybe a little inspiration and there is no application behind that, all we've become is educators, not transformers. That is not discipleship. That is not becoming more like Jesus. That is becoming more like the Pharisees. Is becoming more like those who said, we know better, but we do nothing. I appreciate those who are really, really smart. I really do. Probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, I applied to a church right outside of Manassas, Virginia. And the pastor called me and, and he said this. He says, John, I'm sure you're a great guy. And, and, and from your resume you, and, and your questionnaire that you filled out, you, you've done some good things, but you just don't have the education to work in this church. <laughs> okay. Well, well, what could I do to gain said education? He said, well, first of all, you need to get your doctorate. He said, everybody on my staff are doctors. He says, second of all, he says, I have CIA, Joint Chiefs, high-level government people that attend my church, and you probably couldn't carry on a conversation with them safely. And then he told me that my eschatology was wrong. Of course, you know, I didn't think that. I do appreciate what he said on the one hand. Paul says, I became all things to all people so that I might save some. And I understand that there are some people who are necessary and capable of having higher level conversations about things that I don't. That, that's great. God love them. 
but I pray that they will do what the Lord has called them to do in their circles of influence, and he has put me in my circle of influence to do what he's called me to do. Now, that helps that all of y'all are as dumb as you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really am. Because as you are, I am, right? I mean, but I understand that on one level. On the other level, what I don't understand is that we respect those titles more than we respect the action. That, 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 that we respect what someone has, has persevered through to get a degree versus the person who has gone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, say, I don't know, in China for 50 years. understand where I'm coming from? That, that, that our lives are not transformed by how much we know or how much time we spend in a Bible study or around other Christians. In fact, I would say that our lives are transformed when we apply what we know, no matter how much it is, to the life of a non-Christian so that they may know who Jesus is and how to respond to him. Unfortunately, we get in these insulated areas and we're comfortable for whatever reason being around other believers. And we may or may not dip into or touch our toe into the water. And we might not even have circles of influence or friendships or relationships that are not Christian. In fact, that's one of my great laments as a pastor is I'm surrounded by people who claim to believe in Jesus Christ, who say they know who he is, and they say they've responded to him appropriately. And I would just simply ask this, if you've responded to him appropriately, tell me about this transformed life that intersects at the corner of information and information. I'm not questioning your salvation, but I'm kind of questioning your salvation. And what I mean is, is that, is that if you're saying Jesus transforms my life, he is Lord of my life, great, show me your baptism. Introduce me to that person who came to the same knowledge that you seem to possess so perfectly. Mark knew that the gospel requires a response doesn't just require a response from lost people. It requires a response from saved people. It requires a response from those who say, you know what? I have dared put on the moniker Christian. Therefore, I must act as a Christ follower. In this room and in that room over there and in homes and in restaurants this next year especially, we're going to inform, we're going to educate, and we're going to equip we're going to do all those things, hopefully, with the implied understanding that we do something with this knowledge. I, I don't like to paint. I don't know how many of you know that about me, but I, I, to say that I hate interior painting is, is, is probably the safest thing I could say this church. Uh, I mean, I, I can't tell you my total disregard for I, I don't. But I have never bought a can of paint, opened the lid, and said, wall, paint thyself, and seen it work. You see the information. The, the, the potential transformation is in that can and on that brush, but until it goes in my hand and gets on that wall, I'm sitting there going, oh, world, save thyself. We have everything we need to know. Neighbor. Good luck to you. I hope you figure out your journey 
to salvation. I'm just going to hold on to the things that I've learned in my Bible study or the scripture that I've memorized or the degree that I hold. You come to your truth your way. Good luck. Because that's really the philosophy that's adopted when we don't take the responsibility to get the lid off the can and the brush on the walls. Transformed lives come when we apply what we know. And you don't have to know anything more than Jesus saved me. And I said yes to him. I know who he is. This is how I respond. That's why this year, as I have for the last couple of years, I've, I've, I've taken a verse and I said, I'm going to pray this over our church. And this is going to be where we're moving towards and the decisions that we're going to make. And I'm going to encourage you on the other side of your card to, to write down this this morning. Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, you know, you're thinking, oh, gosh, here he goes. He's just called us dumb, and now he's using big words. By the way, this is one of the few places this word in any translation shows up. Now, some translations, it's, it's supremacy or whatever. But let, let me just tell you simply what this preeminent word is and why I want you to know this word. This preeminent word says, Jesus has rank authority, period. He is. It doesn't require your approval. doesn't require your knowledge. doesn't require your agreement. He is the Lord, period. And if you, you back up to that phrase that says, he might be preeminent, doesn't mean that he might eventually get there. That means you might eventually get there, and he might eventually be Lord of your life. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. That means he walked out of that grave not just to demonstrate his power over death for himself, but for us too. And because we know that and believe that, he might be preeminent. He might be the highest rank authority in all of our lives if we will but bow our knees to him and trust him. If we will know who he is and respond to him accordingly. Oh, gosh, here we are again with application. Here we are with what you're telling me is that I need to know who Jesus is, and then i got to do something about it. Yes, but it's not that you're going to work yourself up into that will to do so. It's not that you're going to find this fortitude and this strength to go and do the things that Jesus wants you to do. It's that you're going to submit to him, and you're going to do them willingly, even and especially when they're difficult, not because you're proving a point, but because the point's already been proven, and he is the preeminent. He is the highest rank of all creation. Regardless of who I think he is or how much about him I know. And so I encourage you to take this little card to keep it with you. And over the next several weeks from time to time, I'm going to ask you to pull this thing out. I'm going I'm, I'm to ask you to, to consider for a moment how have you answered this question this week? How have you seen this to be true? Is he the Christ? Is he Lord? Is he Savior? How have I responded to him? Have I taken the, the challenges of my everyday life and brought it to him and said, you know what, Lord, I, I can't do this. 
I need help. I'm going to ask the band to come up here in a moment, and then I'm going to ask something else. You know, eight years ago this Sunday, we were sitting in the back of a barbecue restaurant in Old Canaan. And there were about 60 people in the room, and, and, and none of them knew each other. It was interesting. It, it really was. A few knew here or there, but nobody knew everybody in the room but me. And in the process of that, we believed that the Lord was calling us to, to, to go and do something else, not different or better, but something else, to reach other people in our community that aren't being reached. I know many of you came from other churches, and, and, and I'm grateful for that. I really am. But, but I'm watching the trends, and I'm seeing the polls, and I'm hearing what's going on, not just in our community, but around our country and around our world. And, and right now, as, as, as a response to the pandemic, church decline has accelerated by 10 years. And, and so we're right now, the, the number of people attending church on a regular basis right now is where we thought they would be 10 years from now. And I'm going to tell you something. I think what happened was a lot of people during the pandemic, especially when churches stopped meeting or they went digital or whatever the case may be, they, they weren't able to answer this question, who is Jesus and how do I respond to him? What instead happened was, I don't know those people. They don't know me. I don't miss this. My life's not any different because I am or am not going to church. And they say, listen, I, I get all those things. Those are real things. But I'm going to tell you something. I really don't care what church you go to or how much you enjoy it or how much you hate it. If you do not know Jesus and have not properly responded to him, you will never find satisfaction in anything else. I want you to consider that for a moment. Let me pray with you this morning. Lord Jesus, be preeminent in our lives. Have the highest rank, order, and authority, Lord, not by our permission or by our admission or, or, or even by our acknowledgement, but just be Lord of our lives. Just, just be Lord over everything. Be real and true to us always, despite the circumstances or, or our beliefs or even our hopes that you would be other than who you actually are. Father, teach us to find the counterfeits by knowing the real thing. Teach us to, to, to know when a, a false prophet or, or, or a bent scripture peeks its head up. To know, Father, that, that that's not from you because we know you. We know you would never say anything like that or do anything like that. Father, likewise, help us to not just gather information or knowledge, but Lord, every morsel that we consume, Lord, would it empower us to do something about it? Father, I'm reminded that you don't tell somebody you love them until you're prepared to do something about them. And so, Father, I would just challenge our hearts this morning. I pray that your spirit would minister to us right now. Would you dare say we love you? just that we would come to know more about you, but Lord, we would know who you are and we'd respond accordingly.
this morning, I'm going to ask you to respond to this. You simply understand that you'll never be satisfied until Jesus is Lord of your life. And, and I know that that step sometimes can be daunting, and if we're not careful, we'll make it this big, big thing instead of just saying, let me start right here with this one thing. Let me start right here just saying, you know what, Lord, will you be Lord of my whatever? Now, now the tendency for some is going to be to, to put somebody else's name there. Will you be, be Lord of, my, of, of my, my husband or of my wife or my children or my boss or whatever? The tendency is to do that, and it takes away from just the personal relationship that you need to have with Jesus Christ. And, and I want to tell you something. What's a little different about what we're going to do here in the book of Mark is that we're going to equip you so that you have no excuse when asked for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. That you know who he is and you know how to respond to him. That you're always prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. That, that you are, 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 are not just willing, but you are able to proclaim the truth in season and out of season. And so this morning, there are two tables here with little cards. And I'm just going to ask you simply this, that during our, our time of reflection this morning, song, you need to, to walk up to one of these and write down on one of these cards, be Lord of my whatever. You can just put a single word, fold it up, leave it in that basket. I'm the only one who's going to look at those things. And I'm going to pray over those things and those items. I don't need to know who you are because Jesus does. I'm going to pray over those items for the rest of this year. What I would ask from you is simply this, is that when Jesus becomes Lord of whatever it is you put down on that piece of paper, that you come tell me. Because you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to give you another piece of paper. And this is what it says. How can he transform you to the next level? Will you stand this morning? Will you come to the tables? Will you give the Lord what he